Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Julie Soto is originally from Sacramento. Julie spent many years bouncing between New York and California before eventually settling in coastal Fort Bragg. A theater and fandom nerd, Julie can tell you the name of any Buffy episode if you pick a number, one through seven, and another, one through 22. With her Bichon poodle brother, Charlie, she spends her days writing contemporary romance, rom-coms, and contemporary young adult, often with a Jane Austen movie adaptation on in the background. As a playwright, Julie's musical Generation Me won the 2017 New York Musical Festival's Best Musical Award, as well as Best Book for Julie's work on the script. Forget Me Not is Julie's debut novel, and that comes out July 11th. I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with Julie. Happy listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. I'm here today with a very exciting guest. I have author Julie Soto. Welcome. Yay. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to chat with you for a myriad of reasons, Um, (laughs) but the main reason that we're here today is to talk about your book that comes out on July 11th, Forget Me Not. Yes. (laughs) Very exciting. (laughs) It's so exciting. This book has been on my radar for what feels like a very long time as with publishing. (laughs) Yeah. We sort of get the heads up about titles well in advance. And I'm just so excited that this book is coming out and other people get to read it. Yeah, I am. I am stoked. (laughs) It is. I agree. It's almost feels like it's been a really long time because I, you know, the like cover reveals and announcements and all that stuff building up to it. You know, I feel like as a debut, you don't have anything else going on at the same time as those things. So it's just that. (laughs) Exactly. So to kick us off, can you let our listeners know what Forget Me Not is about? Yeah. Forget Me Not is about Emma, a young, ambitious, up-and-coming wedding planner who gets the opportunity to work on the wedding of a lifetime. It's a career changer, a bit of a celebrity wedding. And the only catch is that the couple has already decided on their florist, Elliot, the man whose heart she broke two years ago. So they have to work together and pretend that they were never in love and uh, deal with how each of them feels about the other one now. Ooh, uh, <laughs> listeners can't see, but my I'm just smiling <laughs> from ear to ear. Everything <laughs> about this book, yes, <laughs> it is so good. So I like I uh, am a pretty voracious romance reader. I love romance for its reliability, for its tropes. I'm wondering where the idea first came for you for this book with the whole notion of a wedding planner and a florist. Like, where did all of that come from? Was that the start or did that come into play later? That was kind of a nugget that uh, basically I was in the fan fiction community um, and, you know, on fan fiction Twitter, there are some great accounts who, you know, toss out little ideas and kind of hoping that someone will write a fan fiction for it. And uh, so a friend of mine uh, who has a great account who keeps getting like 
you know, when you see people make memes out of tweets and they get put on Instagram, like I'm yes. constantly <laughs> seeing her being put on Instagram in this like carousel of funny things, you know, um, her name is Fran. Her, uh, Twitter is galactic idiots. Um, and she, so she posted about, you know, what about a wedding planner and a florist and this type of thing. And I looked at it and I was so intrigued by it. And it wasn't until I truly pinned down the reason I liked it was that it was basically a persuasion retelling from Jane Austen yes. and just kind of, you know, the idea of like, I turned you down or I broke your heart and now I'm forced to be in your orbit again and you really hate me. <laughs> so that was kind of, you know, I would say that the nugget came from the fan fiction community in that way. But the, the reason that I latched onto it was how, how Austin it was. Yeah. I love that so much. If that's like an, even an added layer to this, I love this book yeah. already, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we'll take any little influence from Jane Austen. Exactly. Queen Jane. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm curious then how you decided on, we're going a little bit into the weeds, how you decided on the book's format. So it's sort mm-hmm. of told from that dual point of view and with the alternating timelines. I don't think that's a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think it is. Uh, so the present day, we we see it in the past and the present. Present day scenes are in Emma's point of view and the past scenes are in Elliot's point of view. And I think when I was really looking at the structure of persuasion or even just like persuasion adaptations that I'd seen, not necessarily movie adaptations, because there's only a couple and um, the Dakota Johnson one wasn't out yet. Um, But, you know, anything that resembled persuasion, I feel like we, I feel like in romance, more than fan fiction, um, you have to kind of prove to the reader that these two belong together. It's almost like your thesis statement (laughs) that you make in the beginning. And by the end, you have, you have a whole thing. Um, But the fan fiction world where I'm from, people are clicking on stories because they already believe these two characters belong together and they want to see an author's spin on it. So when I was kind of thinking about the transition from writing fan fiction to writing original, I realized that I like the the burden of proof was on me uh, to figure out like why why these two and why now and why this way. So I figured that the best thing to do would be to get into Elliot's head, um, which I personally don't didn't write a lot of um, dual narrator, dual point of view before this, um, because I don't love when it gives away what the guy's thinking. Um, Cause I like when he's an enigma. Uh, <laughs> so for me, I was thinking, well, how can I get into his head without giving away what he's thinking? And I think the way that I, landed on was, well, let's show what he was thinking two years ago. And we can only guess what he's thinking present day about all of their interactions. And, you know, I think I was probably halfway through writing it when I realized that like, oh, this is going to be really great for the tension, (laughs) like the narrative tension, like we don't know why they broke up and we don't actually know what he is thinking today um, until we get to the end of his point of view. So it was like a, it's, it was almost like an experiment that worked right. Um, which was very lucky for me. (laughs) Yes. I loved this. I, and I, I, where you don't want to give things away necessarily that would sort of reduce the tension that we all love in these sort of stories. But I thought this was so good because you could really get inside his head see what his feelings were, but right. That it was from the few years ago perspective and that you could sort of guess what he was thinking in the present day storyline. But there were some scenes where it was a little bit of a toss up where you're like, is he, is he over it? I don't know. I don't think so. I can't tell he's being so aloof. 
Yeah. Uh, but it was, this is so fantastic. I wish I had uh, better words for you than to say this book was so fantastic. <laughs> I'll take it. it. It's, uh, it just, I didn't want to put it down. Uh, I read it in about two days and it made me swoon. It made me swoon. Uh, so that, like what an indictment, but, um, <laughs> but so pivoting a little bit because the setting of the book plays mm-hmm. a pretty integral part in the story um, and everything that we come to know and love about these two characters. This book really does feel like a love letter to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. But I will say I'm very excited that you wrote it there and that you have history from Sacramento. I am also from the Sacramento area. Are you really? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And I we don't will talk think... personal details yes. at the end. <laughs> I don't. Yes. I was going to say, or I'll, I'll trim. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it, I don't feel like Sacramento gets enough. Credit. I know. Yeah. And I loved the way in which you wrote about the city, the Rose Garden. It was a it was a very vivid and lovely portrait of Sacramento. And I thought that was really nice to see in this story. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was born and raised in Sacramento. Um, I went to college out of town and then came home and finished at Sac State. So I am a Sac State grad. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's funny though, too, people who are not from Sacramento like whenever I speak to them, I completely forget that calling it Sac State or mm-hmm. like we we call old Sacramento, old town Sacramento. We call it old Sac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we don't bat an eye. Like no. it was funny one time when we were younger. And now we're just like, yeah, I'm heading down to old Sac and people laugh. And I say, oh, that's right. That is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> like, uh, that's so yeah. true because you said that to me and I just went like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sac State, of course. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just, I think that's always funny when I shorten it to SAC and people giggle and I say, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Or East, East SAC, East mm-hmm. SAC, downtown <laughs> SAC. Yeah. It's all, it's all the same. Um, so yeah, Sacramento, um, you know, it's like, it's like any town. It's like any town that is not one of the 10 largest in the country, it's a place that you feel like you have to leave, you know, like, like, well, what is, what's for me here? You know, you, you, in a, and I grew up in the arts and we have such a vibrant theater community in Sacramento. You'd be like shocked to know how many people on Broadway and in movies are from the Sacramento area, um, or have lived there at some point. Um, and, you know, I feel like one of the first people to actually kind of shine light on it was Greta Gerwig um, and yeah. she of Lady Bird um, and the upcoming Barbie movie. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so she, you know, she filmed Lady Bird entirely in Sacramento um, and it's based on her experience growing up there. And that is like a true love letter to Sacramento. Um, and I just, that was kind of the framework I wanted to, to work with is, um, you know, what does, what does my Sacramento look like? Um, and so I really, you know, I, it was, it was, it was really fun too, to like write things in that I understood, but then when copy edits came back and my copy editor is like, like making notes on things. I, it was either wrong because I had said it wrong. And like, I firmly believed what I, you know, like one of the examples is like, like, uh, said something like Mar lives like 10 blocks East. Mm -hmm. And like, and so because I'd said what street Amma lives on, she said, Mar lives on this street. Like she did the math for me. And I was like, that's not where Mar lives. How did you know that? You know? Right. And, and, that, and I was like, oh gosh, that's not 10 blocks, but that's what it feels like when you're driving. Mm-hmm. So, so like I had, like, it was just such an interesting trying to like nail down little specifics or, you know, if, if there's shorthand that I was using 
that my editors were like, is this a real place? (laughs) Right. So yeah, it, it was just such a, it was a really interesting thing to kind of share Sacramento in that way within, with the larger audience. Yeah. And I love that in the context of the story, there's never that, at least for the main character for um, it's Alma. Is that now I'm completely second guessing. I say Amma, but that's Amma. just like a, that's like a California inflection. And also with her full name, yes. it's just like, that's what I, uh, maybe that's a spoiler. Who knows? But uh, I, I don't know. Nah. Anyways, her full name would not be <laughs> wouldn't announcing Ama necessarily. So I don't have a preference, okay. but that's at least what I say for myself. <laughs> yes. So for now, I'm going to feel like I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> you know, when you get to in your head and you're like, wait a minute, what have yeah. I done? <laughs> yeah. Am- Emma, I'll call her Emma like Elliot does. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I love in the context of the story where she knows she wants to just start her career and just get her foot in the door, especially with wedding planning. And it's not somewhere that, as you said, many folks like leave and come back to their hometown. She knows right from, you know, sort of the get go that this is where she's just going to make her footprint in the industry and she can do what she wants to do from Sacramento. Yeah, that was, and that was a journey I had to go on in my, um, twenties is the idea of like, it's not failure to move home, you know? And like, so many people see it as failure if you have to move back in with mom and dad, or if you have to get back on your feet, but even for Emma, she, she never left and that's not failure to her. She's there are people who see their entire lives ahead of them in the place where they grew up. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, it was just kind of such the opposite experience I had in my late teens and twenties of, you know, well, if I want to do theater, I have to be in New York and, you know, I have to train in LA and all of this. So, but I think, you know, because I grew up in Sacramento, I know that there are so many wedding venues in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And so there's no problem. Like there, it's a vibrant scene to be a, a wedding planner in Sacramento. So I think that was, that was also helpful that she could get to, you know, the, uh, a pinnacle of her career one day, Mm -hmm. Uh, by being in Sacramento, the place where she has all this experience planning weddings. Right. I can relate to that on so many fronts. I'm in Cleveland now, which is hilarious (laughs) because if you had said like, Emma, where do you want to be for like book new, like book industry, publishing, editing, I would not have told you Cleveland, Ohio. Right. (laughs) But that's where I am. And I actually work obviously very much with books and publishing and libraries and all those things. So it is funny how things work out. Yeah. Um, Not necessarily in the way in which we are told or that we think. Yeah. Um, You know, like I'm not in New York, but I am very much in the book world. And it's funny to me that, you know, I'm able to do that from here. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's always the like, you know, don't make plans <laughs> or, right. you know, what, what, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, if, if you're religious, the God laughs when you make plans type of thing, right. you know, that, uh, that type of anecdote. Um, so it's, yeah. And I, I never would have assumed that I'd be still in Northern California. I'm out in Mendocino County now, um, mm-hmm. which is beautiful and I, it's perfect for writing, but I, never thought I'd be writing books. I thought I'd be in theater. Um, right. So it's, and that, you know, really does involve being in New York or LA um, mm-hmm. in the States at least. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, after this book comes out, I, I think we'll want to see many, many more books from you. Yeah. I'm hopeful already. I'm like, what yeah. else are you working on? Uh, this book hasn't <laughs> even come out yet. <laughs> <We're> yeah. <gonna laughs> relax a little. So we've talked about 
what the book is about, the wedding industry, and a couple of other things. I want to talk about Elliot Bloom. Yes. <laughs> he is so dreamy. I know some people may disagree. He definitely has that whole grumpy sunshine um, vibe that we see a lot in romance books, but I do, I hope this isn't a spoiler. If it is, I will trim it. Okay. Um, but I find that there's something so, you know, romantic and dreamy when you know that he falls in love first. Yeah. I'm um, like, you can, I don't think it's a spoiler. Yeah. You can very <laughs> obviously see, Yeah. Uh, you know, that he was enamored quite early on. Yeah. How did you come up with the character that we get, uh, you know, as Elliot? Like, what was the inspiration, if there was any? I know we've talked yeah. a little bit about persuasion, but he's, Elliot is so interesting as a character, just with the, you know, the florist, the flowers, without spoiling any of that, the yeah. tattoos. How did we really come to know and love Elliot Bloom? Yeah, I think, I mean, if Emma never wanted to leave Sacramento, I think it's Elliot who never envisioned himself being there. And I think there's a certain reluctance and grumpiness um, that comes with um, following a family obligation or giving up something that you thought was going to be your dream, your future um, to fix something at home or to, um, to, to, to come back to family. Um, and I think he saw a different path for himself. And I think what I liked about, especially because I think his first flashback is like five years before present. And then we see him three years before present. And then we, you know, so it's like, uh, we get to see kind of how his attitude shifts from five years ago to three years ago. And, um, just kind of knowing that flowers were not his life plan in the same way that wedding planning was Emma's life plan. So I think for him, and as far as coming up with him, I was just kind of like, playing with what is what is sexy to me but is also in a way like the man bun was done <laughs> like we've we've had enough man bun um we it's now a joke more so than it was when it first came out and then like you know tattoos are not cliche by any means but like like your personality trait is man buns and tattoos, you know, like that, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, been done, I should mm -hmm. say, you know? Um, so I was kind of just, I was, I was interested in playing with it, even though it had been done. Um, and I feel like the man bun for him, he doesn't wear it all the time, but it's just the idea that like my hair is long and I need it out of my face. And he's just a little bit more economical about those kinds of decisions. Like, of course, I'm going to tie my hair back today. Uh, so I feel like for Elliot, his grumpiness kind of comes down to, I would say like a little bit, just like a, a, a social anxiety. A, a dislike for for people and how they've interacted with him in the past and how he feels he has failed in interactions. And I I can relate to that. Uh, so I, a lot of his like opinions on situations kind of came from like the dark recesses of my mind. Like, yes, I've, I've felt like I should just, <laughs> I should just exit a conversation mid word because it wasn't going well. And so I just love him. I, his point of view was so much easier to write, uh, because he was, he, he was so clear in all of his intentions, which was, I would like to be alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love his character so much. And I agree. Like where we sort of mock things like man buns, he's very, yeah. mu very much 
just like, this is practical. Yeah. I'm trying to work. Like, yeah, it's exactly. not a comment on anything else. Yeah. My hair is too long. I should probably cut it. I don't have the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting in this that there's obviously a lot of influence from both Elliot's father, who owned the, fl- the flower shop before, and then Amma's mother, who's had a lot of influence on her in all of her weddings, <laughs> marriages. Yeah. I think that's a good page two <laughs> where <Yeah. laughs> we find out about her mother. And so you can really see the ways in which that their parents have influenced them, you know, intentionally or not in, in where they are as adults in where they are in their careers. And as, you know, people trying to find love or not in the world. And so I'm interested to talk a little bit about on the flip side, Ama. She knows the way that her mom treats marriages and weddings has an impact on obviously both her life professionally and personally. I want to know why she's so, I guess, want to know why she's so stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) She seems a little stuck in her way. And we kind of see that challenged a little bit throughout the course of the story. Yeah. I think Emma, she is stubborn. I think she also... I think she spent the majority of her short life because she's about 25, 26 by the time we catch up to present day being right about things. You know, she does know the right way to do a wedding. She does know what, you know, uh, she's been successful in the choices she's made. And I think not to say that she hasn't failed because we do hear a lot about her failure um, professionally, but she, I think she gets stubborn because she has so many moments that she can point to personally and say, yeah, I was right. That marriage didn't work out for my mom. You know, marriage number eight, I knew wasn't going to be good. And yeah, we're on, we're on, we're way well past marriage number eight. And I think she doesn't have her own practical experiences in the subject of, you know, relationships and ending and things like that and marriages and divorces, but she has, she has been proven right throughout her entire adult life and even teenage life when she looks at you know, well, this is what I thought of this relationship and it didn't last. And I was right. And I think, you know, of course it, I think people who are stubborn can also, it can also be said that they're afraid of getting out of that place and, and trying something new or learning something new about themselves. And I think one of her biggest fears is turning into her mother and having so many marriages and being the laughing stock of her friends and family and hometown. And she, um, I think she's just resolved that, well, if I don't have relationships, then I can't have breakups. If I don't have engagements, then I can't get divorced. And so keeping people at arm's length, keeping men at least um, at arm's length, and then um, focusing so much on her career, that's worked out great for her. You know, she doesn't have to learn anything new about herself at 25, 26, because her life is perfectly on track. And I think she was 20, 22, 23 in the past, but um, she... I would say that that's, I would say that that's at the core of her stubbornness is, is, well, I don't have to be put myself in an uncomfortable situation because I already know how things are going to turn out. And I don't, I won't turn into my mother if I don't start down the path. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. It seems like there are a lot of ways in which she does act a little bit out of that. I mean, as you would fearful place, like, I don't want to put myself into that position to repeat, you know, the mistakes of my mother, but also to get hurt. Yeah. 
And what I find interesting with her as well is, and I'm trying, I'm trying not to spoil anything. So again, (laughs) but there is a little bit of that where it's, it's mentioned from her old boss, Whitney Mm -hmm. about maintaining, you know, professional boundaries with the clients and things like that, where it seems like the way that she puts her whole heart and whole self into the weddings is what her clients resonate with. Yeah. That's seen, um, that that's seen to be a little bit of a, of a like stumbling block or, or a problem, um, at least in the context of, of her former employer. I do find it interesting that she'll, she's putting her whole personality into the weddings she designs because it's for other people, Mm -hmm. um, but she doesn't want to put, you know, that same sort of thing into her professional or to her relationships. Yeah. Um, It's an interesting dichotomy, I think for her character, because you can see how much she puts, you know, into it to get the perfect wedding, to get yeah, everything set up for these couples. Yeah. Well, and I would say too, that she, she does have the most success when she puts her entire self into the wedding that she plans, but she also has in the past has had problems when she, there's almost like a, there's almost like an invisible line in the sand that she will never know when she crosses and she, and that's when she messes up and gets hurt. Um, and you know, professionally, and of course people take that personally too. So, um, so I think she does put so much of herself in, but she, especially when we meet her in the book, she's still trying to hold something back. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's her, that's one of the, the things she needs to learn throughout is that you, you don't, you can, you can open yourself up to whether it's new experiences, relationships, professionally, you can open yourself up and trust that the, there is no line, um, that as long as you're, I feel like there's always a line, but right. <laughs> you know, like, right. you know, there, there's no, there's no line that uh, she would cross maliciously. That that she she would not, she could not do something with ill intent um, or selfish intent that would actually cross the line. Um, her experiences have been ingrained fear of crossing the line and a personal instance where someone else crossed the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Well, and so speaking of that, the obviously central part of this story is this big celebrity wedding that she has the opportunity of planning and creates the setting for our forced proximity with Elliot. Yeah. I wanted to know how it was writing all of these wonderful like wedding planning details, the Hazel Renee wedding (laughs) without spoiling anything, even just the plan. Everything is so vivid and detailed. How was that writing all of those things? Um, did you have these particular places in Sacramento, like in mind to craft this whole thing? And how did that sort of come about in the writing process? I, 
I have absolutely no experience in wedding planning. <laughs> I wouldn't know that from the book. <laughs> I I was very grateful to uh, have a dear friend who used to be a wedding planning assistant and in fact had a very similar relationship with her mentor that Emma has with, with Whitney. Um, so she, you know, but it's been over five years for her. Like she, she at least could tell me what it was like 10 years ago. Um, and give me the, you know, I, I had a call with her and I was like, okay, what are all the, so like we consult on flowers together. And then what are all the possible situations where crap, we have to see you again, you know, like what, and so she, it was really great to hear her direct experiences with like, well, there's always this problem that could come up, or I had a problem with this during one wedding. And so it's like the problems that she had over multiple weddings, I put all into one wedding. <laughs> um, and so I feel like for, for me planning the Hazel Renee wedding, it was very helpful that it was in Sacramento so that I could either easily create these vendors that were fake or true or actually follow like real, real locations, real things that I've been to. Um, every, almost every location in the book that a wedding took place at, whether, you know, it's in the past or it's the present was a wedding location that I've been to in Sacramento for a friend's wedding. And uh, a lot of the couples that are named in the book are also named after people who've had me in their wedding. So it's a, it's a little shout out. Um, and so basically the Rose Garden was, was an easy location for me to say, this is where, this is where the ceremony is. Um, because, you know, like the character of Jackie, one of the brides, I would drive by the Rose Garden and see weddings every weekend And, you know, and there is always crazy traffic and there's always problems. And it's like you drive by as a kid and you say, that's so cool. And then as you get older, you're like, wow, this location is very busy. And, (laughs) and there's, there's an unhoused community nearby. And there's, there's, you know, a lot of things about this area that are actually, you know, that there's traffic, there's horns honking in the middle of your wedding video. There's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And so I was like, it was almost like I was self-correcting the, the Rose Garden as we were going along, trying to kind of like, if Emma was like, yeah, the Rose Garden's a great location, but is it the right location for a celebrity wedding covered by people magazine covered by e like what's the you know what's what are the stakes here that um changes things from being just an absolutely lovely location to an actual like elevated celebrity location um so i kind of played with that and and amma like me was having trouble figuring out where the reception is and so i a tiny bit of a spoiler. I started thinking like, well, what, what do I want for a reception? What, you know, what, what is the right choice for a reception? And so like me, Emma just built it out of her brain. And I thought that was more interesting and provided more potential problems down the road, which was a good thing narratively at least. So I feel like with the wedding You know, and of course, I was able to ask, I have another friend who owns uh, one of the wedding venues mentioned in the book. So it's like I got to like consult with her and be like, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. (laughs) What does it mean? Um, So I had a couple of friends in the wedding industry who could at least guide me on like, what are the things that Emma has to consider? What are the potential roadblocks that the characters are going to have? And then what am I going to have as the writer? <laughs> and so it was, it was really interesting planning a wedding. Like, I don't know if that's exactly what I would want if I were to ever get married, but it's, it's certainly in the right direction 
in writing this book, you were crafting this entire wedding from scratch and sort of walking us through all of the details in that behind the scenes, like what would it take to plan all of this? And weddings are no joke. (laughs) Yeah. Especially huge budget weddings too. And just like, you know, the huge budgets that have uh, TV crews involved, you know, (laughs) Right. Where it sort of opens up those options, but then with that also opens up more challenges or, you know, right. She's making things from scratch because they have the money to do so, but then that's a whole other layer. You're custom making all of these things. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about, um, your transition from writing fan fiction. I know that you're known for your Draco and Hermione fan fiction mm-hmm. um, to traditional publishing. What has that been like? Like, what has this process been like from writing fan fiction to writing Forget Me Not to being just about a month away from publication? Yeah, it's it's wild, man. <laughs> it's uh, you know, uh, fan fiction is such a great kind of insular community in a way. There's um, there's a lot of support. There's, of course, there's trolls as there are in any community that's open to everyone. Um, but there's just a ton of people who are looking for the same thing told differently. And it's, and it's just... And and people are are kind and gracious and want to connect with other people and maybe they don't have anyone in their non online life that actually could talk to them about their love of two characters and that's what I that's what I loved about fan fiction I um have been writing since 2017 um and I. I write in the Harry Potter fandom and the Star Wars fandom and have a lot of friends and a lot of support there. And uh, basically when I decided I wanted to, you know, being an author has always been like a a dream in the back of my head because I was in theater. So it's like I I was focusing on, okay, am, am I an actress? Am I a playwright? Am I a director? What what am I? Um, and so transitioning, but but like all the while I'm writing like 100, 200,000 word fan fictions. So it's like I'm writing the words, I'm writing the stories and the plots and enough of the words that could create a career in, in publishing. Um, I'm just not putting it in the proper box to make that happen. So when I decided to transition and um, start writing Forget Me Not as a novel instead of a fan fiction, um, because it was never a fanfic that was posted online. It was like, like I said, it was like the fan fiction was a, a nugget, you know, the, the, the idea was a nugget from a fan fiction account. Um, so the basically i kind of had to get comfortable with the idea that there would be no serotonin and no dopamine for me for 18 months to 3 years <laughs> and that's a really hard transition because the fan fiction community you know you can post a chapter you know you can post anything as short as you want as long as you want and it will get some kind of response from people. So, and, and the, the following that I had built up at that time, I had, you know, a lot of response and got a lot of joy from the people who were involved in that. So knowing that it wasn't like I write a chapter and I post it, that was, that was a hard transition a little bit, but, you know, I had good friends who like, I was like, Hey, I've written like 50 pages, like three chapters, like can, can I send it to you just to tell me if you like it? And, you know, that's kind of gone away over time. The, the, the need for that, it's kind of like a, kind of like a morphine drip, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, Where it just slowly, you know, slowly you need it less and less. And uh, so the, I would say that's one of the biggest differences between 
the two mediums is that I'm kind of waiting for this like burst of energy as if I'm about to drop a chapter, but actually I'm dropping an entire book on July 11th. And that's, um, you know, it's a different experience and hopefully, um, you know, and you, you have no idea if your fan fiction readers want to pick up a romance book. Like the reason they're reading fan fiction sometimes is because they can't find what they want out of traditional publishing. So, so it's just a hope that a lot of the audience will, will come over and, and want to meet Emma and Elliot. But yeah, it's a different, it's a whole new world. And it's not, a, it, you know, I don't consider fan fiction a stepping stone. You know, a lot of a lot of people who've gone from writing fan fiction to publishing. I'm not saying that they've said that, but they've they've left their roots behind entirely or they've you know, they they some people even try to hide that they wrote fan fiction. I'm just like so grateful that we're living in a different world where especially women can say this is the hobby that brings me joy. And no, you can't take it from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's not where we were 10 years ago. And I think Allie Hazelwood, my friend has definitely pulled us, pulled us into this brave new world. And I, I salute her for being the, uh, the captain of this crazy ship that we're on of people being like, hi, I write fan fiction. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I think that's so true. I think it, the way that people maybe looked at fan fiction 10 years ago is a lot different than, I hope people look at it now. Yeah. Um, they're one, they're totally different things. And I think that sort of notion that like one isn't as good as the other, anything is just silly. Yeah. There's less gatekeeping in fan fiction. So there will be, there will be things that are of a completely different quality, you know, to, to completely different sides of the spectrum, but there are also published books that are of a completely different quality of each other. And that yep. went through editors and marketing yep. teams and, right. and things. So uh, it's, there's always, there's always a spectrum. Right. We just want people to read whatever brings them joy. So just let them have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a forget me not summer. <laughs> uh, I think people are going to, and I, I think and hope you'll meet some of your readers on your book tour coming up that you'll start to hear all of the wonderful feedback on this book. It's so good. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited to just us book tour has been, uh, solidified. I don't know if I'll ever get to the UK, but definitely excited to try to see if people turn up in the in the cities. Yeah. So you're going to a couple of stops in the U S on your book tour. Mm -hmm. Are you most excited for any particular stop or just looking forward to the whole experience? You know, the Sacramento stop there is, we, it is the first stop and it is actually an early release party. So it is July 9th, two days before the book comes out. We've gotten the okay to sell the books two days early from this one, you know, particular bookstore. So that is going to be, it, you know, it's like, it's going to be so nice to, to fig, you know, to see people who have only been online, you know, in, in my life. Um, but it's going to be especially nice to have aunts and uncles and people from my theater career and, friends from high school and, you know, a ton of different people in my life who are able to share this with me. And Allie Hazelwood's flying in to be my conversation partner. And, you know, you know, you know, that's going to be wild. It's just going to be ridiculous. (laughs) It's going to be so good. So Sacramento area listeners, get yourself there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) as we wrap up, I want to know if there's anything that you would want readers to take away from this book. I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about Sacramento. So I always love when people see it in a new light or, you know, can, even if they start, even if they just call it the Ladybird town, that's fine. Hopefully it'll keep, you know, Hey, it's, there's also a movie coming out with Michael Sarah and Kristen Stewart 
and one other famous person. I, I think there's four of them total, but there's the third one. I recognize the name. I don't remember. Um, and it's called Sacramento and it's being filmed there. And like, people are just like, my friends are just like standing like on their street filming, like Michael Sarah, like at the gas station because they're filming at the gas station. I'm like, why, what is happening? What's this show? What's this movie about? So anyways, back to your question. I'd love for people to take away some more information and love for Sacramento and want to visit there someday. But I guess also in terms of the characters, I feel like what I'd love for them to take away is kind of what Emma has to learn, which is, you know, opening yourself up to other people and to opening yourself up to failure is a big, very difficult thing that I think I'm still working on. Everyone's still working on in their own way. And I think Emma has to learn that in terms of her relationships. Now, I already sort of asked you this a little bit, and I know authors love this, where I'm, we're talking about your book that's coming out in a month, and I'm going to ask if there's anything else that you're working on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I have a second book coming out from Forever next summer, Forever <gasps> and HarperCollins in the UK, um, and we are not solid on a title, so I can't... Okay. <laughs> I can't even say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um but they one of the main characters appears in Forget Me Not and I bet it's not who you think it is. <laughs> okay. I'm like, ooh, who I'll is t- it? I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And for any of our listeners that want to keep up with your updates, where can they find you on social media? I am at Julie Soto writes on every platform. Thankfully. That makes it very <laughs> easy. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, my Facebook author page is findable under Julie Soto writes. And what else? I have a Twitter, but I am not on it. And um, yeah. What else? I don't know. But that's <laughs> those are the the main platforms I'm primarily on Instagram. And then my website is Julie Soto Writes. Perfect. Thank you so much, Julie, for taking the time Thank to you. chat with me. I cannot wait for people to read Forget Me Not. And for our listeners, this comes out on July 11th. Thank you so much, Emma. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com or in Libby. Our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Science! 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 science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.